Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam and Anthony Slater uh-huh. and Fred Katz. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello, and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. The NBA season is here. This is the Media Day episode. I'm Sam Amick, national NBA writer at The Athletic. Here with my guys, Anthony Slater, West Coast, Fred Katz, East Coast. We are making the rounds. Gentlemen, I'm coming to you from a hotel room in L.A., went to Lakers Media Day today. We're going to get into that. Slater, I know for a fact, was at Warriors Media Day yesterday. Certainly going to get into that. Fred was at Nick's Content Day, as he likes to call it. We don't call it Media Day. They don't really give the media a ton of respect these days, so we're going to call it something different. Hope I didn't you know, go outside the lines there, buddy. But gentlemen, he, what's he going on? He was allowed to talk to a wall and the 2A <laughs> players. Ooh-wee, them Knicks. They are testing my patience. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so the Knicks is do it different. Thank you, James Dolan. I'm Love no it, commenting all of this. Oh, Just on. no comment across the board. You do cover the Knicks. That's all they do out there, apparently. Uh, I don't know. Where, where are we all starting? I'm going to throw it to you guys this way. And, and you know, I feel like I got a little extra pep in my step today because it's real, even though I joked before we came on the air that I got to get used to working, you know, harder for a living again. Cause you know, you're running around all day and now we're podding and it's, we're back to the season. This is what we do. I just got back from Lakers media day guys. And it was as advertised, you know, my main incentive for coming was you both know me very well that I'm a sucker for the human dynamics and to, you know, be in a room with people and players who have a lot of really interesting layered relationship stuff going on. So we're talking about Russell Westbrook here, right? And we did not ever think that Russ was going to be with the Lakers at the start of this season. And I wanted to see what that looked like. And the short version is, you know, someone else in our, you know, one of our colleagues called it awkward. I don't even know if that's the word. Um, It was strange. It was strained. You know, it was kind of forced. A bunch of people saying nice things, but also people saying coded things. You know, Darvin Ham going out of his way to to talk about the defense and all the things they need out of Russ. And and so it was a strange day at Lakers camp. And like I said, we'll get into that. But uh, how the heck are you? That was the longest open ever. Well, like 
paint the scene? Was it? I we I think me and Fred and and Sam we all have seen Russell Westbrook in kind of like fake joking mood, you know, where yes. he's like overly laughing and like yes. trying to paint the scene. Was it that? I just like yes. that's my brain envisions him being like, ha ha, yes. we're we're having a great time. So I, I'm gonna try to write something, you know, painting this picture a little bit. My my attempt on the pod will start with this interaction that he had with Janie Bus, not with Jeannie Bus, with Janie Bus, um, you know, who is not really all that widely known publicly. And to be honest, I don't know if I would have recognized her if not for having recently watched the the Hulu documentary about the Lakers, where she's interviewed quite a bit. So Janie shows up, and this is something that I have not ever seen at a Lakers presser in my experience, um, with a, another gentleman, and she sits in the front row of a couple of press conferences, but she was there at Russ's. They had Lakers reserve seats in the front row of you know these press conferences. And so she's there for Russ's. Russ shows up, and what struck me immediately was like a somewhat unexpected warmth and and kind of you know rapport between Janie and Russ. And Russ comes up and and gives her a hug and says hello. And and I didn't you know you could hear part of their you know quick interaction, but at one point I heard her refer to him as Brody, and and then laughed and, and made a comment to him about you know you're a winner, and it would just seem like really really chummy considering that we all know for the past couple of months that while ownership has certainly said a lot of nice things about Russ, you know, Jeannie came on this pod and talked glowingly about, you know, how hard he worked last season. The reality is the organization has, you know, come fairly close to trading him all throughout the off season. And it still remains a pretty distinct possibility. So you're sitting there with, you know, knowing that context and then watching, you know, that interaction between a, a member of the ownership family and Russ, and, and to your points later, there were other moments like that. You know, one, Russ was literally in the middle of being asked about possibly coming off the bench and picked a hell of a time to essentially stop listening to the question and to notice somebody outside of the press corps who a friendly face who was watching this woman, I don't know who she was, and gave a massively huge smile to her and waved in the middle of the question about whether he was going to come off the bench certainly seemed to be, you know, deflection and the type of stuff that you're talking about. Um, but it, it was, it, you know, it wasn't even just what Russ said. It was the way that from Pat Beverly, Le, LeBron, AD, Ham, Palenka, the way that they all had to figure out what their message was going to be was what was kind of entertaining to watch. Despite like, obvious like sour feelings behind the scenes what went on last season the fact that obviously he's been heavily involved in in trade rumors not even just rumors like just trade talks between teams behind the scenes he has i think pretty purposely tried to put up a very like professional public front this summer even if that's maybe not how he's feeling behind the scenes i mean he's showing up at darvin ham's press conference he's showing up at patrick beverly's press conference and like showing a friendly you know back and forth between them to kind of shut down rumors that he wouldn't be okay with patrick beverly there um you know he he did an interview with espn the night before Media Day, right? He had an ESPN come the out. Interview yesterday. was they they did not specify. It was it was indicated that it that he had spoken to them recently. So we don't know the exact time. It was, I, I it was obviously say, dropped. We, we all know Russell Westbrook and his like you know willingness to do one on one. Like that is something he wanted out there. I would assume, right? It literally like he, felt. This is I don't. This is not you know intel. This is my read. It felt very much like they they okay they reached this point in camp where he's going to still be on the team, and this is the kind of messaging 
that they needed to hear from him, you know, and, and the thing is, and I'll, again, I'm going to write some of this, but it's just, it was so fascinating to read because if I'm shooting straight, like we try to here, I don't think that many people in the building truly believe that he believes the stuff that he said. You I know what I mean? My read was he, you know, what's he, interesting with Russ is, is he's very good at coming into situations I I don't say that he mean I don't imply that there's anything disingenuous about it, but I think sometimes we we hear Russ say certain things about maybe wanting to move off the ball or wanting to be a more active screener or 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 even just like grander concepts of wanting to to move the ball more and 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 all that kind of stuff playing a movement offense and 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 he'll talk about those things coming into seasons, but we've just seen time and time again that the the actions have have been pretty consistent since he entered the league, and and I'm just, I need to see it, man. I just at, at this point, I just I have to actually see it, you know. Well, and to that point, Fred and Slater, I'll throw it back your way. Um, it, I mean, listen, we all have we're competitive in this business, right? So I would be lying if I didn't admit that you know what I did enjoy about the day partly was that you know myself and Jovan Buha had written our Lakers beat writer had written a piece last week or 10 days ago about the Lakers, um, you know, and building off some of the reporting from Sham Sharania at our place about how they were going to handle Russ. And specifically it was the information uh, about Russ and the idea that he might get brought off the bench being strongly considered. There was some pushback of that in media. Well, lo and behold today, if you sit there and listen to what Darvin Ham said, what Rob Palenka said, um, that's a hundred percent the message they put out there. This is an open training camp with competition. Nothing is being handed to Russ whatsoever. Uh, they also confirmed the, our reporting regarding the big picture vision. Rob Palenka, who also had his own press conference with Darwin, had one of the more candid GM pressers you're ever going to see. Where at one point it felt as if he was talking, you know, two teams that he's, you know, at times going to be negotiating with to make it clear. That uh, because they got LeBron to sign the extension, they are committed to him and they are, for the right trade, willing to trade the 2027-2029 first round picks. And it was this declaration that, you know, make no mistake, we are willing to do what it takes to make the most of LeBron's window here because he has made a commitment to us. And he was way more specific than you typically see GMs be. He even referenced the Ted Steffian rule which doesn't allow you to trade picks in consecutive years and was breaking down, you know, some of the planning that we'd chronicled in that piece. And so uh, it all sets the stage for a Lakers season that, that is going to be so interesting because as long as these particular cast of characters are in, in the room together, they're going to have to navigate through all these dynamics. What uh beyond the Westbrook situation, which is obviously, I guess like, the elephant in the room there. Like, what did you think of the entire Not only just like the vibe of, of Lakers media day, but like maybe the messaging from Anthony Davis, who I, I, I continue to think flies under the radar as far as like an important player this season and a need to have a bounce back year after such really, you know, a bad season for him personally last year. And when you got to look at the supporting cast in person, is it as underwhelming as it seems like it is, you know, beyond the, the star names uh, as far as like, you know, the depth is kind of an issue with this team. 
Yeah, I mean, the depth is an issue. I do like the moxie, or at least the perceived moxie at this point, starting, you know, and I am kind of buying what they're selling because it's what you do in training camp, but starting with Darvin Ham, you know, Darvin, both personality-wise, physique-wise, resume-wise, he's an imposing character and a guy that, that does seem to really inspire players that he coaches. And I can't remember seeing a situation where there was a first-year head coach surrounded by future Hall of Famers who, again, in the early going here, seemed to spark a, a new energy, a new vibe, a new culture, you know, in, in this kind of a way. It's just very hard for a first-year head, first-time head coach to do that. And the talking points, you know, whereas a lot of the Westbrook stuff did not feel genuine, did not feel authentic, the stuff with Darvin all felt very authentic and not even his messaging. I'm talking about the way LeBron talked about him, the way Patrick Beverly talked about him, even Russ, you know, I mean, Darvin, you know, who by the way is in a tricky spot here because he spent a lot of the summer going to great lengths to connect with everybody, but specifically Russ and paint that picture for what he needs out of him, you know, because if there's a 10, 20% chance, whatever you want to say it is of Russ shocking the world, and being the player they need him to be, you know, Darwin's trying to pull that out of him. Um, that stuff, you know, that really struck me as far as themes on the day. Now, the, to your point, Slater, yeah, the, the depth, just the overall talent level beyond the stars, you know, is is not moving the needle. Uh, you know, they're excited about Kendrick Nunn coming back. You know, he had a chip on his shoulder with some of his press conference kind of talking points. Um, he was like, Austin, he's been day-to-day for like a year. Yeah, I know, I know. Austin Reeves, though, you know, out is he there. fully hundred percent cleared? Like, if they scrimmage their practice tomorrow, Kendrick Nunn is in that scrimmage. I believe so, but I admittedly I'm fuzzy on that. I okay. shouldn't know the answer to that, but I wasn't diving down that road. Um, as as camps go, though, they are wide open. Um, really, it's LeBron and AD are the only ones with secured starting spots. You know, even down to the five spot, Thomas Bryant in the mix for that. Um, but you know, a lot of competition and then, you know, right in the middle of it all, you know, Patrick Beverly's press conference was, was fantastic. I mean, at least in terms of just entertaining fodder because, you know, he got up there and, and was good naturedly ribbing all of the media for the continued focus on his history with Russell Westbrook. And even when our Jovan Buha asked Pat about how he and Russ got the relationship to where it is now, where Russ literally referred to to Pat as his best friend on the team because they've been training together at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. every day as Slater shakes his head. Um, Elite media yeah. day spin. Elite. Yeah. So he That's looks at- great. That is that is the muscle watch equivalent for relationships. It's like <laughs> our, our relationship gained 20 pounds of muscle. Right. It's doing great. Right. So Jovan says, how did you guys get it to that point? And I'm paraphrasing. And Pat, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Pat, but I'm, I got it somewhat close. Pat smirks a little bit and he says, you know, we, we had a, there was a, a, a really big boat and I don't think he used the word date, but he said something about how we had a romantic night on a boat and, uh, and, you know, and, and Russ came in on a helicopter and I came in on an underwater vessel. There were flowers everywhere. We sat down and we, you know, we, we had some champagne and we, we got it together. I mean, he's being a smart ass, but he's keeping it light. And he must have watched The Parent Trap recently because that is the exact description of the end of The Parent Trap. 
Wow. Not knowledge that I knew Fred would have. That's a, a plot twist right there. But yeah, I mean, and Pat, you know, he's going to be entertaining all year. And without outing this person, I my favorite part of his press conference was near where I was sitting, there was a person who I'll describe as a an expert in, in PR who was not really familiar with Pat. And they were quietly marveling at just how deft he was at, you know, dominating a press conference and, you know, taking reporters where he wanted them to go. Um, so it was nothing if not colorful. So there was a lot, a lot to get into. Can we talk about the basketball of this for a sec? Absolutely. Like everyone's obsessed with the, um, personality dynamics and don't get me wrong. It's very entertaining to me that Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly are on the same team now after their history and after Russ accused Pat Bev of tricking y'all and everything else that has happened. And they're, you know, they've got like a decade long history of all of this. But that being said, I think it's a really interesting basketball question of, of what is the best way to optimize the point guards on the roster? Because, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, what's the ideal type of point guard you want next to LeBron? You want the guy who's the better three-point shooter, probably the better, more physical defender. And the answer to both those things is Pat Bev. And I think the, the optimal, I think there's a good argument to be made that the best way for Russ to kind of have a legitimately good second act to his career and not to end up like Iverson on the Grizzlies is if he gets to roast second units. Cause we've seen him not be able to roast first units anymore. Right. But maybe he can do it to second units and maybe that's kind of the role where like you're coming off the bench, you're an inefficient scorer, but you're just able to get your buckets. Like we've seen Jamal Crawford, like players, Jordan Crawford, like players, everyone named Crawford type players being able to, to, to have that sort of success. Uh, I just feel like uh, that's the best basketball option, but I just, I wonder where you guys think this is going to go and, and how it's going to go and how Russ actually would respond to coming off the bench basketball wise. Well, you I don't know, know why I referenced Jordan Crawford as the second six. Man yeah. Maybe Jamal. Down, but. Yeah. I just, um, Generally think the 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 biggest motivator I'd have if I was the Lakers to bring Russell Westbrook off the bench is because I think that starting lineup with Patrick Beverly makes more sense and and you should be worried about optimizing your two best players Anthony Davis LeBron James and I think a point guard who hounds ball handlers can guard you know they're they're kind of hyping him up like he could guard some wings okay maybe but he's better than Russell Westbrook defensively we know that. He can hit the corner three, and he. this is the big thing. He never needs the ball in his hands. He's a point guard who does not need the ball. And I just think that just mix makes a lot more sense. And then the side benefit is what Fred was mentioning. You know, maybe Russell Westbrook against second units is better. Sam, I guess we should flip it to you, though. Like, you, do you sound like it's going that way? Obviously, they need to see practices, preseason games. They need to make an official decision, but... If they're kicking it around, then it seems like it might be like they're they're easing the decision for Russell Westbrook that, hey, this might be coming. That's how it has felt the past couple of weeks. And then, admittedly, there was some pushback that was confusing, you know, including, you know, not the least of which was Pat himself jumping on Shams's Instagram feed and saying, you know, y'all are, are reaching Russ as a future Hall of Famer. So Pat was acting like, I'm not in the running for a starting job, you know, and that was a little bit strange. But then today, you know, the question was very directly posed to 
Palenka and and Darvin Ham, and Rob in particular, you know, I mean, he just he said exactly what we had reported, which is that this is an open competition, um, and you know, Darvin, you know, Darvin also highlighted just the need for Russ to play defense, for everybody to play defense. I mean, it's that's what they're going into the year talking about. So, um, I also think that part of what happened here is that the team has been around each other for a couple of weeks. You know, they went to San Diego State, had a players-only camp heading into training camp. But even before that, they were around the facility getting work in. And I do think at different times, whether it's, you know, just the vibe or the actual play on the court, the the reading of the room at different times before camp was that, you know, the idea of Russ being a starter was looking increasingly, um, you know, unlikely. And I don't know where it's at now. Camp is going to matter. But, yeah, it does feel like it's it's getting pushed that way. Yeah, I think it's the correct basketball decision. So, And he doesn't have – I mean, the other thing, and, I, and I've debated this with, with Jovan about the team he covers, is that they you – know, time will tell if the decision to trade for Pat, add Dennis, you know, who obviously has his own – Wild, you know, history with the Lakers that, you know, turning down the $80 million extension, now coming back on a minimum, um, a ton of incentive to have a great year. Like surrounding Russ with Dennis and Pat is, is putting Russ in a corner. He has lost the ability that he had last year to have any sense of entitlement regarding his situation. So I think that's why you didn't see pushback from Russ today. If, if there was no Pat and no Dennis, you might have seen one of those – Carmelo Anthony in Oklahoma City press conferences where he chuckles at the idea of coming off the bench and says, you know, who me? And and that might have been Russ's attitude. He couldn't play that card because they have options now. Yeah. Couldn't play that card because Melo already played it. Right. And it didn't, didn't work all that well. And then Melo uh, embra- eventually embraced the bench role and be- really has had a, this like second life in Portland and even LA last year as like a nice little microwave score. Well, he has and it also, you know, let's not gloss over the reality that, that Russ is going to be a free agent next summer. So he knows the league is watching and he knows that, you know, he's seen it with Melo and other players if if you what these guys say matters and their media stuff does matter. If you convince other teams preemptively that you are stubbornly going to refuse to adjust to, you know, whatever father time is is kind of sending your way or just the the role that you're being asked. And, I mean, other teams are watching, other teams are listening. And I think Russ knows that, and he's got to kind of thread the needle here so that he doesn't hurt some of his future prospects. Well, let's take a quick break, gentlemen, on the other side of this ad break. Um, yeah, let's go out to Fred's wonderful world of Knicks. And, you know, uh, we'll see what I say on this topic. Your, your organization you cover out there is – is uh, getting under my skin a little bit. But uh, we will talk about Knicks, talk about Warriors when we come back. All right, gents. Fred, uh, you went to Knicks Media Day. Was this out at the Westchester practice facility? Was it at the Garden? Where did they do this? It was. We were at the practice facility, sitting there. Got to see Derek Rose shirtless. No, I saw that. (laughs) There's no other way It was a heck of a day. I was like... I was it was remarkable to see Derek Rose walk into the room and and legitimately like start talking trash about Tibbs as he comes in. And obviously Derek Rose and Tibbs have been tied at the hip for uh, you know over a decade and they're super close. 
And Rose is just talking crap about Tibbs because he lost like 20 some odd pounds because Tibbs told him he needs to lose weight. And he said Tibbs was incessantly emailing him, which is very funny. Like I feel I imagine Tibbs like emailing him and calling him from his landline. They have just <laughs> one email that it, at this point is like 190 right. emails. And With his 56K modem. Right. From his from his hotmail.com <laughs> account. You know, like he's he's really going at him. Uh, I. <laughs> And Rose is just talking crap about Tibbs. He comes in shirtless, and like you know, it's notable when a a person in a in in a press conference comes in shirtless to prove a point. So your inclination is go to your phone and take a picture, and 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 send it out. It's a funny moment. He obviously knows he's being entertaining, and Derek Rose is this like major introvert, you know. And then I was like, why why am I? I felt so <laughs> creepy. I feel so creepy. I think reporters Why is do my that. first R- reporters how creepy that- <laughs> does reporting make me where we are essentially we are essentially professional stalkers where we're just supposed to walk around and just say what these guys are doing. And now my first inclination when I see shirtless Derek Rose is gotta get a pick and show everybody this. So I was like, I'm not tweeting out the picture and then all the other beat writers tweeted out the picture and got all the retweets and i got nothing but you know what you're mad about your engagement fred's mad about i still no i'm not i'm happy about that i still have my dignity and my principles i did not think this is where the next media day discussion was heading but here we are (laughs) i was gonna say reporters should do that whichever reporters hit the gym hard in the off season you know watch their diet Come back, swell, just just roll in a media day with no shirt on. I think that's uh, next next year's later. That'll be. Look, I mean, part look. Part of the reason why I wasn't taking the picture was because my pants were off. So wow, I thought it would have been. What is happening? Andrew's really got more editing to do. Can I can I pivot the conversation? <laughs> was this is my question about next media day? Was Donovan Mitchell's like non presence like was it felt? Is that the story around the team that they that whiffed on that trade, or is that like eh, whatever? We like this group, or like where? Where's that at? Not really, to be honest. I mean, I didn't really feel it. There were a couple questions about just like, you know, asked to RJ Barrett about, hey, were you paying attention to the trade rumors? Because obviously his name became a big part of that publicly. And there were a couple questions to Jalen Brunson about the tampering investigation that's obviously going on with the league investigating, uh, you know, the Knicks recruitment of him in free agency right now, and that's still going. And, and Brunson said that there was not tampering and there was nothing to investigate. Uh, and uh, so I guess they can just stop it right now. It's all over. <laughs> Key witness. And uh, exactly. And, and that was kind of it. I mean, they, you know, they all shook it off. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to the rumors. I didn't, I didn't bother with it. They're, they're just rumors. They're just out there. And that was, that was basically the general theme. Uh, I, I thought, I thought it was honestly, a pretty happy go lucky vibe. Like, you know, they're all, everybody's O and O. And I think everybody on media day for the most part tends to act that way. So I, I, I did not feel some sort of Donovan Mitchell sized cloud over Knicks media day at all. I mean, I think maybe it would have felt that way. I mean, the Knicks were the only team in the league that didn't have an executive didn't make an executive available to reporters either leading up to media day or on media day. Also the only team in the league that didn't make their head coach available on media day or leading up to media day. So, uh, you know, maybe those are questions 
that you're going to ask executives and and coaches. You know, you're not necessarily asking Mitchell Robinson like, "Hey, would you think about not yeah, trading for Donovan?" I guess Mitchell. even maybe more than that. Like, does that even feel to you your pull to the fan base? Like, you know, let's say they had a chance at Durant and Whiff. I feel like it would just be like, oh, you know, like so deflating. But it does. I, look, this is completely me outside looking in. It does feel like. It's they've kind of like Donovan Mitchell wasn't that like obviously they wanted him they tried to get him but it wasn't like such a disheartening miss at this point. Yeah, I think that's an accurate read, and I think that's because Donovan Mitchell isn't the level of player that Kevin Durant is. You know, I, Donovan Mitchell's the type of player who you want to pursue and who is really good and who's an All Star, but a lot of teams have succeeded not having Donovan Mitchell. You know, it's. uh I, I think it's one of those things where they pursued the price was too high. And I agree that the price was too high for them. I like I like the trade for Cleveland, but I, I agree that for them, for him being the first all-star in the door, it's really hard to make a trade where you give up three first-round picks or three unprotected first-round picks plus more, plus young players, get Donovan Mitchell when you're coming off a 37-win season and still have enough remaining to be able to go out and trade for another star. They wouldn't have been able to sign one because their cap sheet is all kind of tied up through really through 2025. So I just, I, I think people know that for the most part. And I don't think Donovan Mitchell is necessarily like, like he's not a top six player, you know, he's a, he's a top 25 player, right? Top 20 something player. And so I think he's the kind of guy who you move on from and, and you go to the next guy. So no, I don't, I don't think they're really feeling that anymore. I think the big question for them is just, okay, they won 37 games last year. They had possibly the worst point guard play of any team in the league that wasn't tanking. They signed Jalen Brunson, who is a legitimately good, reliable point guard. So that's a massive upgrade. But where do they really fall in the East? Because the East is really, really stacked. And I think they'll be better than Charlotte, who had a better record than them last year. But I, I think you could make a strong argument that they're still like ninth or 10th in the East. And it's really going to be really hard for them to climb higher than that. And if that's the case, then like, what's the next step for them? What are they going to do? Because the next star who's as good or better than Donovan Mitchell is going to cost at least as much as Donovan Mitchell. And if they're not willing to give up all that for the first guy, like, where are your next steps? What What is the next way to, to jump up to 45, 50 wins? Russell Westbrook. <laughs> well, then. Oh, man. You can tell I, where I my think head's it's R.J. Barrett, for what it's worth. I think I was going to say, Slater, didn't, you know, you're asking RJ about really Donovan Mitchell. Didn't you get the memo when the, the Knicks sent out like a dozen tweets about R.J.'s extension right when the Donovan Mitchell trade was breaking and trying to just shout into the clouds and shout into the wind that, RJ was the man they wanted all along. Well, you know, it's funny, like, and Fred knows this, like, they could have got Donovan Mitchell and kept RJ Barrett. I mean, it just would have cost, like, way more on, like, the draft capital price tag. But, you know, I think they probably correctly uh, evaluated that, like, Donovan Mitchell, RJ Barrett is not, like, you know, elite tandem to to take you into, like, contention. No, and I actually, I'm with Fred, and I I think there's a, a funny parallel here to, you know, we talked Lakers already and now we're getting into the Knicks. These teams that know that their core is flawed enough that, you know, like if, if Donovan Mitchell doesn't take you to title contender status or at least like bordering elite, then that's too much to give up. You know, the Lakers right now are having this internal calculus of 
whether it was the Utah stuff that is now kind of behind them, the Boyan Bogdanovich type trade, or the Indiana stuff with Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, you know, they have been very reticent to give up two first round picks because of the same sort of calculus that you're talking about with the Knicks, Fred, and the idea that, you know, if it takes you from, you know, the ninth team in the West, the eighth team in the West up to sixth, then you've just blown your assets for, you know, an advance that's not good enough. So I'm fine with the Knicks not doing the Donovan deal, but like you already hit on, they're going to be a middle of the road team. Um, and that backcourt is, I mean, combined, it's, it's just, it was 105 million and then 124 million between Jalen and RJ. Um, so, you know, we'll see what they can do because I know time is somewhat of the essence on the pod this week on a kind of a hard pivot here, guys, let's jump into Slater's world and, and talk about the defending champions. And so this media day was yesterday, uh, on Saturday for the Warriors or Sunday, Sunday rather. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, did they do more availability today or what did they have on the docket? Yeah. Well, they signed Andre Iguodala officially today because he was had, he, Andre Iguodala was like intent on retiring and already had plans this past weekend. So he missed the first two practices. Showed up today and Interesting. did his. Like, I didn't know that. So he was he. he this was a, a a turn of or a change of mind. Yeah, he spent most of the summer thinking he was done. Okay. Uh, it was really put like Steph really pushed for it. Bob Draymond, Steve Kerr, um, really kind of like pushed him to get back. He said he rode the peloton twice last week and was like, "All right, I'm I'm in a good enough shape. I think I can do this." <laughs> That's what he said. Um, we you know, he's, they, they're already talking about this like scripted plan of when and when he's not going to play. And it sounds like you're not going to see him much early in the season. Uh, you know, again, he doesn't like it being termed this way, but they're bringing him back to be in like a very, very important, highly paid assistant coach for, for the young guys, you know, with the, you know, hope that he can be on the floor at times when it matters. Uh, I mean, Steph was talking about 10, 20 minutes. Yeah, for I mean, Andre, you know, occasionally that's that's not per game. That's yeah. total. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's total. That's over that's 82 like game five yeah. of the West finals. Just is certainly saying, not Steph acted good. like, you know, this narrative Slater's yeah. putting out there. This is this is what they're pushing back on. Apparently, part of the reason Andre was convinced to come back is because Draymond and Steve Kerr told him, like, no, we don't just need you to, like, you know, boss Jonathan Kaminga around. We do need you to do that. But we also think you can still help on the court. And the truth is, when he played last year, they were good. He had, like, the third yeah. best net rating on the team. He just, you know, he'd play, he'd have a nice game, and then he'd be like, next spasm, I'm out three straight weeks. So, right. Um, but, you know, so that was today. Him and Kerr talked. As far as the media day, I'd say the biggest takeaway is like, you know, the contract situation that that we've talked about plenty that's looming over them with the Jordan Poole, like expensive rookie extension conversation coming up. They're about to go to Tokyo when they get back. Jordan Poole's reps and Bob Myers in the front office are going to meet and see if they can come to a number. You know, we're talking at minimum, I think, in the R.J. Barrett territory contract wise, probably beyond. I think Jordan Poole is the type of dude who wouldn't mind betting on himself. Um, because he's just shown massive growth over his career. So, you know, Poole was prepared and deflected, you know, those conversations. Bob was just like, hey, I want to keep everyone this extension eligible. We'll talk to his reps, you know, after Tokyo. Draymond was the more, not shockingly, direct answer uh, from Media Day where, you know, I asked him, you know, would it be his preference to try to get an extension done before the season? Because we know even going back, he was extension eligible in August, uh, he wanted, you know, long-term commitment from the Warriors at a big number. We've kind of reported that that wasn't likely to happen. Draymond just came out and said it. He's like, it doesn't matter what I prefer. I don't think it's happening. Right. Uh, but 
But then he did go on to say, which I think is a good sign for the Warriors, that he's like, you know, every player takes contract years differently. Some get nervous. You know, some have different stuff going on. He's like, I just use it as motivation. I'll always bet on myself. I'm going to be like basically saying I'm going to have a motivated, awesome year because I want another payday, which, you know, the fact that he's unsettled might cause some drama at times. We don't know. But having Draymond Green like wanting to play well is not a bad thing for the Warriors. Who said it? Why am I blanking on this quote? The line about how I think it was Clay that the where I know in the media we're guilty of not letting go of certain storylines, but this this felt like he was, you know, subtweeting Kevin Durant as he talked about how that yeah, he, that it's a bylaw of, of the yeah. Warriors culture that you got to get yelled at by Draymond, and if you can't handle that, you probably can't play here. Yeah, I don't th- I don't think it was meant to be a direct shot at KD. Obviously, everybody's minds goes there, but uh, he, it was more asking because you know these young guys are rolling in the Kamingas, the Patrick Baldwin's of the world. Like you know, what's been your first experience? You know, oh, Draymond was lighting this guy up. Draymond was right. lighting that guy up. Somebody asked Clay about it, and he gave that quote like basically. Right. It's a bylaw. Like you, you, you must be able to be yelled at by Draymond, or you're not going to survive here. I also love Slater, Fred. I don't know if you had a chance to to read Slater's notes column from Media Day, but from a writing standpoint, we occasionally run into you know uh, where you got to make a choice to go first person or stay in in third person, right? And so Slater's got this note about the Jordan Poole extension conversation, and he's got a passive voice. On this one line that says, you know, Jordan Poole faced questions about his contract extension only 30 seconds into the press conference. And I start laughing and go, what do you mean faced questions? You asked him. And he looked at you and he looked at you and he just said, man, like right away, huh? And both you two understand where I'm coming from, where you don't like to be like, I asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't. I'm more shameless. You're not supposed to use Uh, first person. Too bad. You're not supposed to, use, but Sam likes to make himself the center of the story. Fair, so yeah. first person. It's my podcast. Yeah. You're not supposed friend. to use first person. Look, Sam, at least he went passive and he didn't go with my least favorite, which is when a reporter doesn't want to use first person. This, so re- says, this yes. reporter. Yeah, yeah. This reporter right. asked I would not do something that. no one well, would ever say. To in Slater's real life. credit, from a comedic standpoint, he handled it well because remember last season. And I wrote about this when I had a long Q&A with Jordan. He had this running bit where he would come into his press conference and look at PR man Ray Ritter and say, 90 seconds, Ray, 90 seconds. Because at some point, apparently, Ray told him that he only had to talk for 90 seconds. So then when he, you know Jordan gave Slater a bit of a hard time. And Slater looked at him and was like, I only got 90 seconds, right? You know, so well, he we had done, go. He had, of course, done it again as he was walking into his media day presser. We just, still 90 seconds. We won a title. We're sticking with that. So right, it was like, right, right. like you said, it was like, well, if we, if we have that limited <laughs> a time, we better get straight to it. Let's go. No, it was good. He, his perspective on, I thought his attitude about his contract was seemed fairly healthy, but it, it seemed obvious that, and, and, and he's not wrong, that his, you know, his messaging was that, and he didn't blatantly say this part, but okay, I, I didn't play perfectly in the playoffs. I had moments, but he kept going back to, we won the whole thing. And that's the point of this, right? And I played a big part in us winning the whole thing. So it certainly, you know, felt and sounded like he uh, is hopeful that they get a deal done, that he's he's certainly hopeful that, that whatever number they settle on is reflective of a guy who is part of a championship. Yeah, he, I mean, he's in a place of power in this situation. He is an ascending 23-year-old who just went basically 50, 40, 90, 17 points a game in, in a title run. 
yeah. in the playoffs. After in the last month of the regular season, he would led the NBA and made threes. He was you know 50, 40, 90. He won the free throw crown. He was the best free throw shooter in the league last year. He is who modern NBA teams want to run an offense, essentially. If you don't have if you're the Orlando Magic and you're like, who would be good to pair with Paulo Bancaro and is of the age that makes sense with Paulo Bancaro? Jordan Poole. If you're the Spurs and you need somebody to take in the next area, like he seems to be the exact type of dude you'd want to give the ball to. Um, so in that sense, and there is more cap space coming next summer, and obviously the spike coming in a few years, like I think he's gonna have a market. And if he has a market, he's in a place of power of saying, like, pay me or I can just go get paid. And you know, look, the Warriors are much of the opinion, like, we'll match, you know what I mean? Like they do not want to lose this guy for nothing. But I just don't think the it's difficult for the Warriors at this stage of Jordan Poole's career, considering his trajectory. To say, like, take a team-friendly deal. Because he does not have to take a team-friendly deal. What do you think he ends up getting? Put so his spot. max would be, like, starting at $33 million. He's in the John Morant, Darius Garland draft class. He went 28th in that draft class. Him and Tyler Hero, to me, felt very equivalent. You know, it, some would argue you, you'd pay pool more now, which is stunning to say at this point. Um, I think... At minimum, like I said, what was Barrett like four one oh eight, something like that? Yeah, that was the guaranteed money. He was four one twenty, but it was a lot of unlikely incentives. So it was like four one oh eight, four one oh seven. Yeah, I mean I think money. that I think at a minimum pool should be asking for that. With the belief that like and you could tell, I mean, even I was like, you know, would you be comfortable going in if you don't like the offer, like would you be comfortable going in the season of restricted free agent? And he's like, Whatever I go into the season as I go into it as. I mean, I, I I think if we're not talking beyond a little bit beyond that is RJ Barrett type dollars, it'd be tough for the Warriors to, to lock him in. Gents, we uh, we got about six minutes left here to break it all down, and I want to do this. Let's spend the final segment here trying to go around the league a little bit, but in the interest of transparency, we're going to fill in gaps, you know, however we can based on what we've seen on social media and whatnot. But you know, as we've kind of detailed, I was at Lakers, Fred was at Knicks. Slater was at Warriors, but there was a whole lot of other action going on today. And and you guys can help guide me here because I didn't see and read everything just yet. But the, the very, very notable locations that made this media day uh pretty you know more robust than your normal uh you know media day in the NBA is that you had everything from in Phoenix, Suns players and coaches talking to the media for the first time since Robert Sarver, you know, the, the ruling came down about all of his transgressions in the past and his decision to sell the team. That was extremely notable. You had out in Boston, the Ime Udoka situation, which we have not even gotten into on this pod uh, and, and him getting suspended for a year being out and, you know, a massive change for the team that was in the NBA finals last year, players and coaches addressing that situation. You know, I, you got Minnesota with Rudy Gobert, you got Brooklyn with, I mean, the fact that I, I got to the fourth team before mentioning the nets with Kevin Durant's trade request and, Kyrie Irving's, you know, situation. Um, just a ton going on today. The stuff that jumped out of me that I did see. I'm gonna go in reverse order here. With the Nets, uh, watching Kevin Durant, you know, essentially toe the line between candidly talking about why he didn't, he, why he had questions about the Nets and why he made the trade request to begin with. But from what I saw, not really diving in all that deep on the ins and outs of of how he went from wanting out and asking for the GM and the coach to be fired to saying, all right, let's hoop, which is where it seems like he is now, you know, that was something else. And then Kyrie being fairly candid too, when he called the whole situation and the whole summer a, a cluster F, 
Um, you know, so we got a little bit out of those guys, but but what did you guys make of the Brooklyn situation? Honestly, as expected, hearing hearing Kyrie's cluster quote was pretty great. It was fantastic. But honestly, as expected, uh, you know, just from just from reading those quotes and and kind of following what happened there from afar, nobody seemed particularly thrilled with what was going on. It just kind of seemed like everybody was resigned to the reality, right? Like Kyrie said that he had other options. I think honestly, the most newsworthy thing that we learned was that Kyrie really confirmed that the Nets offered him the four-year extension last year for a hundred some odd million dollars and that they said it was contingent upon him getting vaccinated and he still said he wasn't going to get vaccinated and that was why and we we had an inkling as to that being the reason but that was why the extension didn't get done last year and why he's now on on a player option the free agent after this season um i think that was kind of the most newsworthy thing that happened out of that but was there anything particularly shocking um uh, you know it, it I, kind of just I, followed along the lines of the reporting that we saw play out publicly I enjoyed his interaction with Nick Friedel. I don't know if you guys saw that. I did not. What happened there? Oh, it's just Nick started asking a question, and he was like, "We're going to be best friends by the end of the year, Nick. We're going to just look <laughs> it up if you want to see it. It was it was enjoyable." Um, I did thought- Kevin address? Sorry to cut you off, Slater. Yeah. Did I don't believe the thing that was tugging at me was did Kevin address the Steve Nash stuff at all? Because that yeah, I think he you know he complimented Sean Marks at the at some point and talked about. You know the the way the roster look now, um, and he also talked about how they should have fought through some of the adversity in the playoffs, and it was hard not to feel like, like even though Kevin has denied the anecdote that I believe Rick Buecher had written regarding you know a group text on the Nets and the idea of Ben Simmons leaving a group text when when his teammates asked him when he was going to be ready to play, you know, and and you know Kevin claimed that wasn't true. Then you hear him complaining in general terms about a lack of a willingness to fight through adversity. Those, it felt like those two dots connected, but the idea of Kevin and Steve Nash and, you know, oh, by the way, you wanted your coach out and now you're going to listen to him every day. Uh, I mean, I did, again, I didn't, I wasn't like part of the press conferences, but just reading, you know, the quotes, uh, Steve Nash said, Kevin and I go way back. Families go through things like this. Seems like one of KD's main points at media day was, um, pointing out that I think, what did they go? Oh, and 10 in some stretch where KD missed last year. And he's just like, he wants a team that's better built to survive when he's either off the court or injured or, you know, out. Um, and just was expressing the need for accountability on that type of stuff. So again, a lot of it's cryptic, obviously. Um, I, the, I think the worst media day might've been Phoenix. I mean, they just seem, completely unhappy, uncomfortable with the Sarver situation. That's, uh, you know, I guess less hanging over their head, but still they had to deal with it. DeAndre Ayton was asked about his contract, just didn't exactly, you know, throw throw love the organization's way for matching it. And then Jay Crowder's not there. I mean, and he was their starting power forward last year. Um, yeah, never good. I mean, I know they, they fell short in the playoffs. They had a terrible finish to an otherwise good season. But my goodness, you got a high-level player who's been a winner for years and years now. And, you know, that's not the type of team that is used to seeing guys ask out and not want to be there anymore. Yeah, and, you know, we're talking about the runaway number one seed of the whole league last year and just the way that has devolved to, like, you know, you're looking at a little bit sideways at the situation entering the season. Like, they clearly have the talent to still be, you know, a a top-type seed, but there's a chance, you know, the house – 
crumbles down. If it's if it's as testy as it seems like it might be. Any notes Dario from- Sarich to the rescue. Yeah. It's right. happening. Small ball. Uh, Back up five, Sarich. It's happening. We're giving short shrift to this, and we get into it more next week because the Celtics are going to be very interesting all year because of the controversy that surrounds them. But uh, what were the – any main takeaways from there? Media day, gentlemen. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Not really. I mean, just an awkward situation. I mean, you mentioned seem the like there's awkward. a real lack of information. I mean, it it does make sense. The Celtics have been extremely close to the vest, largely for legal reasons, you know, presumably. And and it seemed from what I saw that that extends even down to the players because it was some players that appeared to be complaining or at least indicating that they just had not been given a lot of information. There's and you do you know last couple of days hear rumblings that that there's a ton of frustration among the players that. You know, they obviously didn't see this coming. And then without all of the context, without all of the information about the improper relationship that, that he was known to have, you know, with a staff member, um, there's somewhat left in the dark. That is a, uh, that's a heavy note to finish on, but we do have to jump. Appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for the media day perspective and takes, and I'm going to be in LA for a couple more days. So I'll have more color for you next week. And I look forward to seeing you gentlemen on this zoom call next time around and thank you to the listeners for joining us as you heard a lot of things happened to me in my career but if i had to choose one moment where stop time and enjoy forever it's right now with you i said what that i could not believe it let me hear my heart pounding in players like me individual accomplishments or team honors i'm not here because i was Special. I'm here because I was part of two of the most important teams of the 2000s with the Spurs winning four NBA championships and with my Argentinian national team uh, winning gold in 04. Yeah. Adding there a EuroLeague one in Virtus Bologna, Coach Messina, and you got the reason why I'm here. Today, I, I also want to mention and talk about the teams, the teams that were not that successful. But for me, were fundamental stepping stones, and it all started to get here at age six, age six, seven, in a little club team in Bahia Blanca, one block away from my home. And my dad was, you know, the, the president of that team. My two brothers played there. My mom was a coach. No, she wasn't a coach. I'm kidding. <laughs> she couldn't play. She couldn't. She didn't know anything about basketball. But she would pick me up from school at noon. She would feed me, help me cross the street, and let me just go play all day long. And I would dribble, shoot, dribble, shoot, dribble, shoot. And I make dribble, six, shoot, seven hours dribble, a day. Shoot, dribble, shoot, make friends. It was, it was the perfect, the ideal spot to strengthen and develop my passion and love for the game in a very healthy, for the game in a very healthy and familiar environment. Environment. So I thank everybody that was part of that side of my life. From there, I played till 18. And I did, at 18, I became a pro. And you know, playing in front of my family and friends at the highest stage in Argentinian basketball was a blast. I even had to, the pleasure to play with my brother, Seppo, that gave me every single ball. And uh, we had a blast. With, with my gradual growth and development came the first call to be part of the national team. And Italy was the first stop. Viola Reggio Calabria, with a coach that really trusted me in tough moments, 
great veteran leaders that show me how it's done. Then the jump to Virtus Bologna. He basically taught me what it was necessary to, to get some W's and championships. The NBA, an unreachable goal, dream, sorry, an unreachable goal, dream, sorry, dream, 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 sorry. The Italian experience for me was so valuable. That's where I became not only the player that I ended up becoming here in the NBA, but, but, also, but also the man. I had zero expectations. Uh, I had no, no fancy no realistic goal. No hat, no press conference, no nothing. I got no clue that it was the happening. The Spurs were one big, strong, supportive 16 years. Uh, the same players representing the same colors and city. So many wins, losses, so many friends, so many incredible experiences. And for that, I got a lot of people to thank. Pop. The one next to me, say, one of the best players to ever play the game. TP! We had our priorities straight, never let our egos get in the way. Uh, we knew when it was your time, when it was my time, when it was his time, that was most of the times. <laughs> for, sure, for sure, you got a little bit of time, I got a little bit of time, most of the times. But, uh, but to win a championship, become a real team, you need a whole bunch of other little pieces. And we had a lot of them. Bruce Bowen, Matt Bonner, whatever you are, I'm not going to forget you this time. Paddy, Thiago, Bobo, uh, you made those trips fun, man. I love you. Finn and Bones, and I could keep going and going and going with 100 names. Assistant coaches, video coordinators, trainers, physios, equipment managers, GM, RC, whatever you are. The crazy thing about my career is that while all of this was happening with the Spurs 16 years, at the same time in parallel, I was having another career. And it was as nurturing, as fulfilling, as exciting and fun as the one with the Spurs. And it's with my national team in Argentina. A few other guys are here. I could go and start talking about you individually, but I'll stick with what uh, we always done, is to do it as a team. The championships, of course, but the disappointments also. They got us together. Uh, the conversations, the terrible trips, the late dinners, the early breakfasts, the jet lag. Jet lag. It was all it was worth it. I, I love you. That's, that's friendship. That's brotherhood. I think it's been amazing. I'm looking forward to more adventures off the court now with you guys. So I want to thank the NBA for giving us this extraordinary stage to do what we love. David Stern first, Adam Silver now, and a wonderful team. Best sports league in the world. Thank you. And now allow me just one minute to address my family. Spanish. Sepulea, mis hermanos. Gracias por aclararme el camino. Gracias por la inspiración. Me empujaron de chiquito porque yo quería ser como ustedes. Papá. Como me hubiese gustado que estuvieras eh, y puedas entender lo que está pasando hoy. Eh, mi primer fiel y más grande seguidor. Te extraño mucho, te extraño. Mamá, mamá, sé que estás mirando por ahí. Me llevó a tener tres hijos varones para entender los sacrificios que hiciste por nosotros durante tanto tiempo. El esfuerzo, la dedicación, el amor en actos, la libertad de elegir. Gracias. Mani, Luca, Dante, and Nico. As you heard, a lot of things happened to me in my career. 
But if I had to choose one moment where stop time and enjoy forever, it's right now with you. Doing what we do, our time together, our trips, our rides, our nights, our everything. I love what we are. I love what we accomplish. I love what you are. I love you guys so much. Thank you all for being here. I'm looking forward to more adventures together. 